The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening and know that he is near at the gates, amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to go to In His Name bookstore, you would see a great many paintings, pictures, prints of our Lord. And uh, they are, generally speaking, very pleasant pictures to look upon. They give us a certain feeling of being loved, a certain consolation, a certain affection and compassion. But there is one painting which you will not find there. And I suspect it's because most people wouldn't want it hanging over the mantle. I mentioned it before in one of my homilies some time ago, and that is the mural on the back wall of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington. That is a very different Jesus than the ones we normally look upon. That's our Lord coming in judgment. And the look on his face is a stern look. And if you've ever noticed, it's one of those paintings that follows you around as you move. So you always get the feeling he's looking directly at you. It's something we should look at more often, actually, 
Because at this time of year, the church reminds us, as we approach the end of the liturgical year, of the last things. Traditionally, there are four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. As a rule, we don't like to think about those either. Our culture tries to numb us to such things. After all, for most of us, that's a long way off, we think. Or it really doesn't bother us all that much. After all, God is merciful, and he is. But we have a thousand things to distract us. Besides, technology has come a long way. And at least in our culture, we can control much of what goes on in our lives. And still, it's there, though, isn't it? The end. The final coming. The world will end. Most of us think that's dependent upon simply natural forces. But the natural forces are dependent upon something, too. The constant will of God to keep them in existence. So we go through our daily lives without thinking about much. The Imitation of Christ, that book that, again, many people don't read anymore but should, told us us to live every single day as though it were our last. It may not be the end of the world, but our lives are going to come to an end, too. Sadly, a great many young lives came to an end Friday night in Paris. None of them thought they would. They were looking forward to what they would consider to be a pleasant evening. But it came to an end in a terrible and violent way. And the world sits back and wonders. That same thing can happen in Iraq and Syria every day and nobody pays any attention at all. It won't even hit the newspapers. But Paris is a culture a little too close to home. And all of a sudden we begin to become more aware of our mortality. We may not think about it, but it's there. And the reality of the Lord. And the reality of looking upon him. And his looking upon us. But as I said, that's something we should do all every, all, every day to some extent. Remember the man uh, in ours, in the curie of ours, said to him, when you go into church every day and sit there, what are you doing? He said, well, he looks at me and I look at him. Uh, A beautiful prayer, really. And that's the way we should be. We should always be asking ourselves, how do I appear before him? I can't play any games with him. I can't try to find some way to convince him, even if I convince myself that I'm wonderful. He knows me as no one else knows me. And so I am called to something greater all the time. This gospel talks about that. Notice how it describes it in apocalyptic terms, like the book we heard of in the book of Daniel. In those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. It would seem at the end that even irrational beings will bow down before the Creator and judge as he comes to judge the earth. But notice, too, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. What powers are those? Some of the fathers of the church thought it was the angels. Even the angels would tremble when God comes for judgment, when our Lord comes. Others simply thought it was 
cosmic powers, which will, of course, tremble when the Lord comes, when it all comes to an end. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Again, a very powerful figure, don't you think? And yet, one that we don't take very seriously. You know, last year, remember that um, All Souls Day fell on a Sunday. It doesn't very often, but it did last, last year. And I mentioned the idea of death. Um, for some people, that's a very happy thought. When St. Therese of Lisieux realized that she was bleeding internally, she was ecstatic. Imagine, she was going to meet the Lord at the age of 24. Thank you. Most people would not be ecstatic. They'd be somewhat panicky. Early Christians were like that. Everything could be taken away from them and they were joyful. Can you imagine coming home, a married couple, from a vacation, and finding your house ransacked and burned to the ground, and turning to your spouse and saying, Oh dear, isn't it lovely? Uh-uh. But that was a different attitude. They were looking forward to something greater. They weren't trying to hold on to something that is. They wanted to move on to where they were supposed to be. I remember Father Benedict Rochelle once saying, I guess he was about 70 at the time, he said, you know, I'd like to see what's going to happen 10 years from now, but on the other hand, I really would like my purgatory now. Uh, the Lord will come. And in this gospel, he's talking about two different comings. And they're always intertwined. His second coming at the end of time and the destruction of Jerusalem. They're mixed together. Because in the Jewish mind, the destruction of Jerusalem was like the end of time. So he said, in this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. And they took place in 70 AD with the coming of the Romans. So that is done. But now we wait for the final coming. I mentioned, too, last year that in preparing for these moments, which is why these are mentioned, it would be good, I thought, to be able to prepare over a period of time, to know that it's coming. Uh, I would like myself, I hope everyone can, to receive the sacraments before I die. If possible, to be absolved, to receive the apostolic blessing, and to be anointed perhaps even to receive the Eucharist, if possible. And then again, who knows? I do know, though, that whatever may happen, that God is in the center of it. There was a young man in England who was thrown from a horse and died, and his father was distraught. And a good friend of his father sent him a letter uh, in which there was just one verse that said, Between the saddle and the ground was mercy sought and mercy found. It's true. God is always there to give us that last moment. But we have to reach out for his mercy. We have to be open to his mercy. God will force nothing on us. That's why the, the whole Mass begins with a cry for mercy. We have to do that before we can go one step further. We have to cry out for mercy and ask him for it open ourselves up to it. Then we can go on with the rest of the Mass. As I was saying to our service before Mass when we were outside, that final coming is about to happen here. It happens over and over and over again. 
Our Lord is coming down from heaven. He is going to come present to us on this altar, as he already is in the tabernacle. But heaven is going to come down. The final coming will be here for a short time. We will be allowed even to receive it if we are prepared. And then we have to go on with our lives. So this is the most important moment in our lives, next to that moment when we have to look into the face of God, which we all will have to do. As I always say at funerals, we must look into the face of God. No one can do that for us. Only we can do it. And so we come today, and our Lord tells us that we don't know when. Uh, every now and then, <clears throat> you'll read in the paper that some Christian group has told us that the world is going to end next Thursday at 3 o'clock. Uh, it never does. Uh, someday it will, but they won't know it. Uh, but our Lord tells us that about this hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the sun. What does that mean? In his divine nature, united to the Father, he knows all things. But in his human nature, the Son of Man was not given that vision. Remember, our Lord has three types of knowledge. First of all, uh, the heavenly knowledge that he shares with the Father. And through the hypostatic union, the Son has that. Infused knowledge and experiential knowledge. That last knowledge can grow, and it did from the time he was born on. So we don't know that. Uh, But then what does it matter? If we are prepared... We are always ready to embrace the Lord. Uh, If we are here, we have come because we want to be present for his coming. He descends through the eyes of faith, doesn't he? But he comes nonetheless. And as he does, we must look upon him. If we find that difficult, we should ask ourselves why. Because he comes to embrace us in love. And why would we be afraid of that?